and I went to Allen Stevenson School, which is a great performance school, and I played female leads in the Gilbert and Sullivan shows that we would put on at the all-boys all school, and uh, now the old-boys school. And the first professional job I had was uh, on a show, a live television show, called Uncle Danny Reads the Funnies, okay? <laughs> and it was connected with the Daily News, okay? It was down in the Daily News building, and they had a whole bunch of studios down there. And uh, while they were prepping the next show to go on the air, uh, the, the live show was on the air. It was absolutely amazing. You'd peek in through the door and you'd see all these, all these, uh, uh, Pat, Pat Michael and her magic cottage, which was a kid's show. Hey, I don't know. I'm getting a lot of messages while I talk to you. Isn't yeah, this exciting? it's exciting. But anyway, that's where I started. And I was probably about, Oh, thir 12, 13 years old. I think about 12 years old when I, I did my first live uh, television appearance. And I, I've been working in the business for 60, over 60 years. Wow. You know? That's amazing. Been, oh, it's been wonderful. I've done everything that you could possibly think of doing except juggling. I can't <laughs> juggle. I'm friends with the Flying Caramazzo brothers, and they've actually all slept here in, in my house at one point early in their career, but they, and they tried in vain to teach me how to juggle three balls. Couldn't do it. Still can't. <laughs> I, I've always had a fascination for magic and the circus. The two things are just fascinating to me. Sure. I was a amateur magician also. You know, I think every performer, uh, really, for, you know, the ones I've all talked to, they were all fascinated by magic, and they all tried magic. It's a kind of a way of getting comfortable in front of an audience, you mm -hmm. know, maybe a small audience of your family and your friends, but you're doing a patter and you're, and you're amazing them at the same time. You're testing your skill. And uh, I think that's a great way to, to dip your toe into show business to see if it's, if, if it's fun for you. I know the first time that I ever stepped on stage, I loved it. I felt absolutely at home. You know, and the and I, I love the audience. I love being there. I love singing, uh, performing. Oh, it was it was just great, and, and that stayed with me my entire life. What What was your first job in the theater? My first job in the theater was uh, well, cause see, I went to Yale, and uh, I got a BA in drama there, uh, and so I was on stage a lot at Yale. Now, if you mean a professional time. Uh, it would be an off-Broadway show called uh, uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, okay? Mm -hmm. And that was in a small theater uh, downtown in New York, and uh, that kind of you know, got me started. Then I did another play off-Broadway called Thistle in My Bed with Sam Waterston, who was my classmate at Yale, we did Finian's Rainbow together, for example. He was Finian and I was Og. This was in the Dramat. Uh, with, with, oh, the other people in the Dramat at that time were Austin Pendleton and uh, Skip Hennant, who got famous for the Electric Company, and uh, Tom Legan, who had a, a great soap opera career, and uh, oh, John Batum, who became you know the director of Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. He was our stage manager. That's so you cool. Know? Yeah, it was, it was just great. Peter Hunt also became a great director, and uh, and I've had a pretty good career, too. <laughs> it, it was an off-Broadway show 
that brought me out to Los Angeles. Uh, it was called The Amorous Flea, and it based on a Moliere play called School for Wives. And we won all sorts of awards. Um, Melda DeMartin, my co-star, and I both got uh, the Theater World Awards. And they brought the show out to Los Angeles. And uh, there, I, you know, I, I learned how to drive. You, know? you, you yeah. can't go anywhere in L.A., Sherry. Uh, if you move the letters of L.A. around, it spells legs on sale. <laughs> you got to have a car. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, anyway, that got me started. Then I went back to do a Broadway musical called A Time for Singing, a jolly little musical based on how green was my valley, the story of how an entire family of miners got wiped out in a mining disaster. Let's sing! Right? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah it and it's always interesting when a musical for a drama like um, like Fiddler on the Roof, it's such a happy musical, but it's such a tragic that's story. Right. <laughs> that's right. And Austin Pendleton played uh, the the Miss Miss Kipe in that in that show. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so I'll go back and I do that musical. And I did a, another Broadway show. I understudied a guy named Brandon DeWilda, who was an actor before your time, famous for Shane. He was a child actor, uh, and and he, we came out to L.A. together, connected up with Peter Fonda, and we got caught up in the L.A. Uh, Sunset Strip riot, as they called it. And I sat down on an open issue of the L.A. Free Press and pulled it out from under my butt. And and it's there was a picture of my another classmate of mine from Yale, Peter Bergman, okay? And I called Peter up the next day, and he said that he was doing a show called Radio Free Oz on KPFK, and he invited me down to be on the show. And that's where I met these two other guys, Phil Austin and David Osman, and before we knew it, we became the Fire Sign Theater, mm. you know, making records and and later touring, and we did all, all so many radio shows, and it was in a 50-year career, which culminated in the Library of Congress purchasing our archives for half a million bucks. Wow, that's How about cool. That? That's really cool. Was uh. That's when radio theater, when they had a huge audience, everybody dressed up to go to the radio theater. Is that right? Well, <laughs> when I was a kid, that was the way it was. I remember going to see uh, Jack Armstrong <clears throat> performed a live show on uh, uh, at Rockefeller. No, pardon me. At uh, yeah, at Rockefeller Plaza, they had a studio, an NBC studio there, and it was the first time I ever saw actors standing in front of microphones you know, doing their thing, <clears throat> and they'd wear little costume pieces, you know, and uh, in one of the scenes it was raining, and one of the actors came out with an umbrella, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this is neat, you know, <laughs> don't have to learn any lines, you know, so I, I have dedicated my a lot of my life to doing audio theater, uh, and one of the, the, the great experiences I had, and my late wife, Melinda Peterson, was performing at the uh, L. Ron Hubbard Theater in Hollywood uh, doing the Golden Age of Pulp Fiction series. And we would we would bring to life uh, Hubbard's short stories of which he wrote, oh my God, gazillions, you know, in all these different uh, forms, science fiction, uh, horror stories, uh, westerns, 
uh, arson stories, detective stories. I mean, uh, pirate stories. Arr, you know, and <laughs> and 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 that was an absolute ball because they had built this little theater specifically to do live audio performances uh, in in a in a wonderful setting with backdrops. They they put up you know uh, slides of of a Western street if we were doing a Western story. And we had little costume touches and everything. Uh, it was great. It was great fun. And in fact, my next job, uh, th- I'm flying this Sunday up to Whidbey Island, which is near Seattle in Washington State, to record a six-part, six-hour adaptation of Treasure Island. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm flying up with our dear friend John Goodman, who is going to be playing Billy Bones up there okay and and this is being done by one of my Firestone theater partners david osman's son orson osman who de- who decided to, to do an adaptation he'll be directing us and david and his wife judith walcott are producing the show and they're going to be like 27 actors in all so it's 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 going to be wonderful i'll be up there until the 4th of october performing various roles as pirates and parrots and things, right? <laughs> so that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> that sounds like fun. I love Treasure Island. <laughs> yeah, great story. Great story. Great story. Well, I like uh, I like pirates. I mean, even Pirates of the Caribbean was a fun movie series. <laughs> that's true. Oh no, pirates are very colorful and and interesting. I'm going to be playing foreign pilots. Pirates. I'll be playing a French pirate. Uh, I don't know my name yet, and I'll be playing also a Scandinavian uh, pirate because uh, they came from all over the world, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be fun. That's true. It <laughs> is. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be fun. I, I, um, We have a very small rep that we do uh, radio plays on my um, platform. Um, yes, noticed that. Yeah. You, oh, you did? You just, yeah, you did Never Too Late, right? That, yeah, that was uh, last night. We did it last night. Broadcast. Oh, wow. um, yeah, next one we're going to be doing is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. In time for Halloween, we hope, <laughs> if everything works. <laughs> I'm, I'm a great, great fan of all audio theater. And, uh, uh, gosh, I've been doing it almost all my life. Uh, I guess most people would know me best, however, as uh, Howard on the Rugrats. Because <laughs> okay. that was a, uh, we just celebrated our 32nd anniversary of that show, Rugrats. Can you imagine that? It's just amazing years. how animated shows keep going where uh, regular shows, they don't do that. <laughs> It's true. It's still playing on uh, Nickelodeon or on the, uh, you know, all over the place. It's it's true. And by the way, uh, I also do a live radio show, okay? Mm-hmm. A little bit like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. A show of conversation with interesting people. We've had Weird Al Yankovic on the show. John Goodman, of course, who I, I, I love. And, uh, oh gosh, Lorraine Newman. All kinds of, of interesting people. And then some actors who are less known, like Phoebe Doran, who was in the Wild Wild West or, or the Wild West series, mm-hmm. and who had a fascinating career. And, and it's called Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. <laughs> okay? okay? And, and we've been live on KPFK, where the 
one to two, and then it is posted by my uh, by co-partner Ted Bonnet uh, on uh, whatever they post it on. If you just Google "sexy boomer show," it'll take you right to uh, you know a, a, a potpourri of all the different shows that we've done. So I love doing anything live. You know, there's there's nothing nothing greater than knowing that you're actually talking to people at the moment. You know. Oh yeah. I, I love it. Yeah, we used to do the show live, but we had some technical issues, so now I record. <laughs> of course, there's always difficulties. New technologies. Can you hear me? Is this microphone on? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very good. I know. No. It just uh, we it was just too, well. It happened during one of my radio plays. It I don't know how it happens, but it they dropped half my actors. What? Yeah, we were doing a live show, and I, I my platform is Blog Talk Radio, and they dropped five out of the ten actors. Now, by that you mean the sound. Of the actors. No, right? they dropped the calls. Were the the people called in to the live radio on the platform? They yeah. actually dropped five of the actors off of the show. Well, that's terrible. That's why <laughs> I don't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, I think it is safer to do, uh, uh, you know, use some of the technology. There's another friend of mine, however. Uh, his name is. Uh, Oddly enough, Greg Oppenheimer, okay? Oh, I know him. You know Greg? Yes, he's been on my show a couple of times. Oh, great. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, Greg's dad, Jess Oppenheimer, created I I Love Love Lucy. Lucy. (laughs) And Greg wrote this wonderful audio show about the creation of Lucy. Mm -hmm. And I and my late wife, Melinda Peterson, uh, performed with with the, the rest of the cast uh, many times locally around here, and then uh, uh, he started. Oh yeah, and then we would work with him at old time radio conventions. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and we'd perform all these recreations of of the golden age of radio shows. Gosh, was that fun before an audience of deaf people? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm joking because all most of the radio fans. The old-time radio fans are old-timers now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was so joyous to do that. And then COVID hit. Okay? Of course. All right, so here's what uh, what Greg figured out. Maybe you talk to him about it. He figured out a way to uh, record us all on camera in our own homes. And he, at the, and, and he would do it like a split screen, and we could look over to the right and pretend we were talking to the actor there who was looking at us from the left. And he created these wonderful radio shows, recreations, live on on air. I think he calls it the uh, online radio theater or something like that. But if you just Google Greg Oppenheimer, you'll find a whole bunch of wonderful shows. The last one I just did was a recreation of a Groucho Marx radio show. I didn't oh, even wow. know he did a radio show. And uh, and I play Charles Butterworth, who was a famous radio and uh, screen character actor at the time. And anyway, those are so much fun to do. And again, they're, they're done not live, and he puts them all together with his magical editing skills. Mm-hmm. And 
and they they just they come out just beautifully. So much fun. It is. It's so much fun. Uh, I was just thinking when you said that you that you, he was doing a recreation of Groucho Marx. My parents back in the fifties when they first came to L.A. They went yeah. to, my dad worked night shifts, so he was able to go to a lot of live, not live, but recordings of shows like I Love Lucy and, yeah. uh, and yep. Groucho and stuff. Dad and Mom told me it took them eight hours to do an entire half hour show because he was so blue. <laughs> Marks was so blue? Yes. Oh. Of course, for people who don't know what that means. That means it, he cursed a lot. He cursed a lot, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of actors, uh, or I should say, actors, comedians, uh, play can curse a lot for shock effect because they can't, you know, they can't, they couldn't do it publicly, mm -hmm. right? It was the invention of the roast, okay, where, where they would, you know, um, be honoring some particular actor or writer and and the most unlikely people would would speak outrageously filthily make filthy jokes like art linkletter you know who who the one of the one of the, the purest kind of uh, radio personalities and he would break everybody up because he'd be talking like a longshoreman you know <laughs> swearing like a longshoreman anyway it, it adds to the, the 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 fun of it but that's an interesting fact i don't know i don't know if greg knows that i'll have to i'll tell him that when i talk to him next they they went to it a couple of times and they brought like uh they t they told them to bring like picnic lunches so they have something to eat <laughs> oh, uh, because you're going to be here for a while <laughs> I love it. That's <laughs> funny. Uh, I've also, you know, in my long career, I've done uh, television sitcoms and, uh, of course, Voices for Disney, Pixar movies. You know, uh, I'm the uh, seahorse dad in Finding Nemo, and I'm the, the monster's manager, Charlie, who calls in the SWAT squad in uh, Monsters Incorporated. And just on and on and on. Uh, people out there have heard my voice many times, or something that sounds like my voice, <laughs> times, and many, many different manifestations. And games, interactive games. One of the things we're striking about, okay? Yeah. For, I, I, I've done hundreds of voices for interactive games, and uh, they make billions of dollars, but they, they, don't, they will not give us residuals. That's okay. Sucks. Yep. So we're, we're we're striking once again for the third time to try to get that. And in general, the, this all the strikes in the industry, uh, the Writers Guild and the actors, uh, are all about residuals. Mm -hmm. Okay. In the old days, when you if you did a commercial for uh, some okay television commercial, it would be shown on the three major networks. CBS, NBC, and ABC, mm -hmm. and every time it was shown, you'd get a nice dollop of money, mm -hmm. okay? and people could make like $100,000 off of a, a radio spot or a, a television spot. Uh, you could buy a house, and uh, uh, then the residuals started getting less and less, and they opened a, a bar called Residuals in, in the Valley here in L.A., 
and uh, people would bring in the smallest checks that they received. Okay. <laughs> All right. And for Rugrats, I get very small checks because it's not on any of the networks. It's just streaming. And, and at a certain point, so many people, oh, yeah, you get a free drink. I didn't say that. You bring in a, a low residual check, you get a free drink. Well, they had to stop doing it because everybody was bringing in small, <laughs> small checks. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I've gotten checks for, for nothing because it was for one cent and the government took the penny. Yeah, okay? yeah, I get it. <laughs> so anyway, that's that, folks, is what we're striking for. So many people really only know Hollywood and the entertainment through the uh, high-profile stars that they see. And everybody knows they make a lot of money. So they think, oh, well, all these, these actors, you know, they're, what are they striking for? Well, they're striking because they're just regular actors, journeyman actors, as we say, doing wonderful work, but they're not going to make those huge salaries. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. And in fact, my uh, my late wife, Melinda, was doing a, playing a nurse on a show that share uh, that what was her name uh, Shelley Long okay was playing the lead in and when her agent said okay let's talk money they said oh no no the the talent budget was all used up by by uh, Shelley so everybody's just working for scale now think about that for a minute that the just is awful talent budget the talent budget was taken up by the star all the money. And no, none, nothing for anybody else. See, so th these are little rights and wrongs that have to be have to be corrected, and uh, I, I sure hope they are, because we work very hard uh, to entertain people in so many different ways, and it, it really is. But we don't work all the time. Yeah. You know, not everybody's got a television series. You know, uh, so most of us are guest starring parts, or we add voices to things. And, as I've been doing for years, and uh, and you get residuals for all of that, but people aren't buying VHS tapes anymore, and now they're not really not buying DVDs very much anymore. Everything has become streaming, and that's uh, you know it's like the trickle down theory. Okay, it's like they're peeing on us or something. Hmm. It's a golden shower, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of out of balance right now. And I hope that the that the strikes will will bring some of the producers and studios to their senses mm -hmm. to understand how important it is to support all the people that are creating the art that makes you rich, right? Yeah, and it should, and it's only right. <laughs> uh, the two of the most important people on any show are the writers and the actors. That's right, and then of course you know all of the all of the crew people, mm -hmm. you know the people who put out the food you can snack on. Oh them. yeah, catering, you know, yummy. Craft service, <laughs> and all of the people who do the props, and the people who build the sets, and the people who man the cameras. And, I mean, uh, the people who the wranglers who wrangle the cables, and you know and the lighting. It's, it's a huge cooperative venture mm -hmm. to do anything theatrical. And that is why when, when you're doing something on the audio level, it's so much simpler and so much less expensive, okay? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're asking people to use their imagination. Yep. Which is wonderful. Yep. You know? 
And uh, so that's why you love it, and that's why I love it too. Yeah, absolutely. It's yep. it, there's um, there's it's like reading a book. You have to use your own imagination when you're reading a book, and you have to use your own imagination when you're listening to a radio sh- uh, audio, well, whatever you okay. want to call it. It's okay. a radio theater. <laughs> and once again, I bring up the golden age of pulp fiction, uh, which which has really they've really mastered the way to present. Uh, these stories, uh, uh, the short stories of L. Ron Hubbard, in a dramatic or comedic manner by reading the whole book but bringing it to life in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. The characters are are there, you know, and and what they did was they uh, developed a technique where they used uh, uh, prompters for us to read our lines so we didn't even have to hold scripts in our hands, okay? And that, that means that we could really you know, use our bodies and our hands and our faces to, uh, uh, we were liberated to bring the, the pieces even uh, even more to life. So the, the wonderful thing about radio work is you could be so many different characters, right? You can, you can do several characters uh, in a show, uh, which the people love and uh, the audience loves, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a fun way to kind of show your skills, you know? Uh, I also, w- with I, with the Fire Sign Theater, we had this amazing 50-year career, and we were able to pr- to do everything ourselves. You know, we we wrote music and we sang and we directed uh, uh, choral music and we uh, wrote these fantastic surrealistic stories, and we would add sound effects to it afterwards, which they call foley because George Foley was the first guy who did that in, in movies and uh, and we produced it ourselves and we acted in it, our, in it ourselves and it was a, a, a totally four man self contained uh, business uh, unlike Monty Python God bless them because they had the cooperation of the BBC mm-hmm. right and they were able to do extraordinary things with their uh, with, with the cooperation and the budget of a major television network, if you will. I think we that I, I think that the BBC kind of outdid uh, American broadcasting because look at not just Money Python, but Doctor Who and all the other stuff that yeah. they, Sherlock Holmes. Yes, yes, and, and which also became then television series, you know. But there, to this day, uh, on English radio, you can hear dramas and comedies. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it is—it's a part of their culture, and it's a part of our culture too. But it's been kind of neglected. I think that podcasts are one of the ways to bring it back. Uh, I and my—I uh, keep saying my late wife because she died very unexpectedly and recently, and she was a brilliant, brilliant character actress and an extremely beautiful. And uh, uh, just as an example, and we were members of a theater company called the Antias Company, now in Glendale. And, and she was a member since 1991. I came on a little later. But uh, when I posted the news of her death on, uh, on my, my uh, site, my Facebook site, I got over a thousand tributes to her. Aww. You know, within like an hour. And, and, People who loved her so much, and she was such a talented and amazing person that uh, 
uh, it's a great loss. It's more than just a personal loss to me. It's it's a personal loss to everybody who ever worked with her or who ever knew her because they they even from a, a short meeting or a dinner or something, they knew what a, an amazing, glowing, happy person she was. And we had a great relationship, happy, happy, happy marriage for 35 years, and we traveled all over the world together and performed together many times and wrote together, and uh, it's just amazing. Uh, she had a bad fall when we were on vacation in Sicily, and uh, when we brought her back, she's her, she had to have a knee operation, and her shoulder was growing, was healing itself, and uh, uh, she uh, basically wasn't able, obviously, to do any anything on the stage. But she decided to take a creative writing course, along with her two-hour Italian conversational courses twice a week. And I was so happy to hear that she was actually going to do some writing. Because she always said, oh, Philip, you're the writer. You know, I'm just helping you. But no, she really was a good writer. So guess what the very first assignment by her teacher, Craig Belknap, was for her creative writing class? A radio play. No. <laughs> Write about your own funeral. Oh, no. Oh, yes. And she did brilliantly, brilliantly and movingly. And uh, the thing she said about me, for instance, was, she says, uh, oh, look at poor Philip. I've never seen him so downcast before. Oh, wait a minute. He's telling a joke and they're laughing. He'll be all right. Oh, I'm really sorry. Sweet? I'm really sorry for your loss. That that is oh, so man. hard. I'm, it's so it's tough. You it know, uh, we, we 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 just had the most loving relationship together. Uh, if anybody wants to uh, see what I've written about this and see pictures of her, they can go to planetproctor.com, and you'll see my tributes to her. And uh, you, and you'll understand what an amazing person she was. So anyway, that's what happens when you when you live to be 83, which I am, and she died just short of her 74th birthday oh. of a heart attack. What, um, what part did she play in when you did the recreation for Greg? Uh, oh gosh, she played lots of different parts. Uh, I think the best role that she did. And by the way, her phone is ringing. Her cell phone is ringing right now, right after I talked about her. Uh, she has one of those theremins. Oh, how weird. Oh, my God. Maybe so, she's calling from the other side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I would just recommend that people go and see her work because she played, like me, she played many, many roles. She's a character actress. Mm -hmm. Okay? So you go to Greg Oppenheimer's site. And there's one role in particular, uh, in a recreation of The Third Man with Orson Welles, who was recreated by a wonderful actor named Ed French. And I, I play a couple of, I play a bank character, foreign bank, a Hungarian banker, something like that. And she plays the mastermind behind this series of bank robberies. And she is a French girl, very, you know, very sexy French woman. Uh, a very sexy French woman, I should say. And so just watch her in that role, and you'll realize what a great loss 
it is to everybody. Yeah. But, but we must carry on. And she's she's with me. I'm in the beautiful house right now that she created for us to grow old in. And uh, and she is in my heart. And she's part of my my sense of humor. And uh, uh, she will never leave me. So until I leave myself, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's not going to happen for a while. And we don't know what happens on the other side. You may get, you're, you probably will get back together with each other. <laughs> sure, we will. I'm absolutely sure of that. And by the way, there's another very interesting form of voiceover work I've been doing. It's a, it's a child's toy, if you will, called the Tony Box. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay, well, if people Google the Tony box, they're, they're going to see a little red speaker box, okay? And, and then there are all these different characters. Well, let me just uh, cut to the quick. I just did for them a series of Dr. Seuss characters. Aww. Right? Uh-huh. The Cat the Hat, okay? Mm-hmm. The Grinch that Stole Christmas, Horton Here's a Who, and the Lorax. Now, here's how they do it. They, they make little... Uh, iron figures of the characters that that uh, whose story you want to listen to. So, like, if you take the cat in the hat, this little metal replica of the cat in the hat, you put it on top of the Tony box, and it goes right to the internet, and it will play a fully produced story of, of, of from Dr. Seuss with music, uh, original songs, uh, sound effects. And actors, it's and it's just wonderful. It's a way to introduce children to reading, okay? Because mm-hmm. they they can read along in the book if they want to, and also to to use their imagination to uh, stimulate their little brains to grow. And and I'm so happy to have done you know all of these characters for that particular outlet. That's great. I love that. It's, I love anything like that. When I was a little girl, uh, they might well back in the day they used to give the stuff away from gas stations, um, yeah, and my dad used to bring them home for us. And one of the things I got was like a, a Disney thing, uh, a record. Uh-huh. A record for young people is a big black thing that kind of looks like licorice. Yeah, right. <laughs> licorice, licorice pizza. Yeah. It's right, right. Uh, um, I, I, yeah. I, I did some of those Disney uh, st- story records later on when you were probably grown up, okay? Uh-huh. We, did, we did some Star Wars uh, recordings, and gosh, I can't remember some of the other stories that they were doing. But, uh, yeah, they, they did that right up to uh, – of course, they weren't records, and they were cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. I have to explain that to your listeners, too. <laughs> so, I mean, all, the, all the, these uh, formats – that we worked in uh, back in the 70s, 80s, I guess right up to the 90s, uh, are, are kind of gone now. You know, they're, they're in museums. I, well, vinyl records are back. I know that's true. Uh, in fact, the, the Firesign Theater, if you go to firesigntheater.com, you'll see that we uh, produced well, a lot of recent We've been releasing a lot of recent stuff, rare Firesign performances and, and, and our radio shows. And we recently released a vinyl record 
called Dope Humor of the 70s, mm-hmm. okay, which are excerpts from some of our radio shows. And it's been selling like hotcakes, okay, because, because uh, uh, as you say, vinyl records are definitely back. The fidelity is wonderful, mm-hmm. and uh, right, and you and you have a a big uh, format to do artwork on. Yeah, that's right? what that's what people were really missing was, you know, the CD covers were not even near the par of the great <laughs> artwork on the record covers. Oh, it's true. <laughs> even if there's a booklet enclosed, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but anyway, it is wonderful uh, to be with a group like Fireside Theater, which has such a long history of recording, and and to know that our stuff is still out there, still available, and it's also available for people who don't know us and who want to hear some uh, some interesting, well, more than interesting, some mind-boggling uh, stories, uh, adventures that had a great cultural effect. On, uh, the the satire and humorists of the uh, uh, of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and uh, even up to the modern day. Mm-hmm. So, oh, my dad, I, I still have all the records my mom and dad had. My dad had 2,000-year-old man, yep. and he had the, um, I don't remember the name of the people, but there was a group of people that did comedy records about the Kennedys in the 60s, early 60s. That when was Jack. Vaughn Meter. That's oh, it. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's so funny. <laughs> I did a play with Vaughn Meter back east. Uh, he was a friend. And also the 2,000-year-old man, uh, Mel Brooks. Brooks and, and Carl, Carl Reiner. Reiner. Yep. They got a Grammy one of the years that we were nominated. <laughs> Fireside Theater was nominated three times for Grammys. And we lost to Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> twice. And, and then we lost to Carl and, and, and Mel as well. I can tell you a Mel Brooks story that's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I love it. I love Mel Brooks. One of the other things that I've been doing over my, my long career is dubbing voices in foreign films, like uh, Spirited Away, the Academy Award-winning Japanese anime. Uh, we did voices for that. Porco Rosso, another uh, famous anime and 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 uh, okay and there was a french film called the visitors les visiteurs that was a tremendous hit for gaumont in paris the biggest biggest grossing comedy movie in their history at the time and so they decided to overdub the movie for american audiences mm-hmm. all right so and they said well hire mel brooks to direct it and they did and I got cast in one of the parts and got to work with Mel for like two weeks. And we overdubbed the entire movie from the French to English. But Mel said, you know, it's funny. I think it'll be funnier if we do it with a French accent. <laughs> and we went, yes, of course, he's funny with a, with a French accent. You know, look at the Clouseau movies. Huh? He's done my dog. You know, it's funny. <laughs> so we all spoke with French accents, you know. Okay, that's fine. When they played the movie in Encino to a test audience, they thought we were speaking French. <laughs> they couldn't understand what we were saying. And, and so it was never released. Oh, no. Because <laughs> that sort of reminds me I, I, of History 
of the world where everybody was during I the know. revolution when everybody was speaking French and uh, Cloris thinking, all we have are these stupid French accents. We don't even have a language. <laughs> well, the reason why was that they were speaking in certain parts of the movie Parisian French. And this is what it sounds like. Okay, and that's what other worlds like uh, they're talking like a machine gun, and it's impossible to understand what they're saying. You know, we had to be that fast, <laughs> and so it really confused the poor, the poor uh, Encinoites. Oh you know? God, that's so funny. Because I lived in Encino. <laughs> that was where my apartment was. <laughs> oh my gosh, I lived in Encino. Uh, when the fire service was first starting with uh, Chad, with, pardon me, with Jeremy Clyde uh, of Chad and Jeremy. Now, that's another group that's probably before your time. Does Chad and Jeremy ring a bell with you? No, sorry. No, of course <laughs> not. But they were very famous, and they put out a lot of wonderful records. And, uh, and uh, Jeremy and I shared uh, the rent of a house in Encino that had a Tiki bar, an ape cage, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and a huge house. And, of course, it was in the swinging 60s. So we filled all those rooms with beautiful women who, who would help us cook, you know, or, or help us swim in the nude, or very helpful things that only women can do, you know. And, and that was in Encino. Oh, yeah, and we had a bomb shelter where we kept our marijuana, okay? And one day, some neighborhood kids got into the bomb shelter, but they couldn't get out, so we had to call the cops on them. Oh, God. I know. It was, a, it was a great, I can't tell you how much fun it was to live in the 60s, 60s. It was really a, a time of great hope, uh, the hippie movement, you know, uh, people were very free and very happy to be together. It was a great sense of community. And uh, men and women were very loving and open with one another during that time, you know, it, without, without a lot of jealousy or rancor, uh, because people, both men and women, were free to get to meet their own partners, you know, to mm -hmm. have to live their own lives. And it created a, a very fine cultural atmosphere where a lot of beautiful things happen, especially musically. There was a, a documentary called Laurel Canyon that was about that. It yes, was it was, it was really cool. And I it was, agree. It was like, oh, my God, it's like our heroes, all our heroes in one place. Watching that documentary, as my brother and I were saying as we were watching, oh, my God, look, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's Davy Jones. It's, yeah, I was, I was pals with David Crosby at that time. Oh, he was and, in it. You know, and, and the whole, that whole uh, Canyon uh, culture was absolutely wonderful. In fact, I was interviewed for a book about Laurel Canyon, a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, because, indeed, it, it was a place that drew us all to the, the, the jamming of, of music. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to explain. Again, a very open, giving, caring society. You know, and famous musicians would go over to other famous musicians' houses and jam, you know. And, and it, was, it was quite joyous. It really was. And it's really interesting because one of the things is that all the, 
I mean, Joni Mitchell was still doing folk music, but she was buddies with, like, the rockers, or they, yep. she was buddies with Mamas and the Papas, and right. everybody was friends with each and the monkeys were accepted, even though the only person who really sang was Davy Jones. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Mickey, Mickey was a talented musician. He, he, he had chops. He could do okay. Yeah, he was. A, he was. Yeah, that's true. I'm sorry, Mickey. Uh, <laughs> I think he's the only one that's still with us, isn't he? You know, I think you might be right about that. Because I've seen him, I've seen him occasionally. Uh, I, as I say, I live in Benedict Canyon, and there's a wonderful deli just up the hill, and the Beverly Glen Circle, it's called. Uh, a lot, a lot of restaurants, and Mickey's been there. He hangs out there as, uh, as well as. Uh, who are some of the people in the? Uh, oh God! In the all right. Uh, my age is showing now, kids. Hold on. Uh, da, 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 da. The oh God! I, I'm, I'm actually blanking. Mike Love and who else? Who's the other guy? This is you can edit here. Okay. <laughs> Mike Love. What, what what group is he with? Famous, famous, famous. The surfing music. Surfing. Oh, Beach Boys. The Beach Boys. Okay, well, who's the head of the Beach Boys? Brian. Brian, Brian Wilson. Wilson. Brian Wilson eats at the deli too. Oh, how stupid of me. <laughs> anyway, is that see, Nate now? Say what? Is that Nate now? No, the no, deli now down in in uh, Beverly that, Hills. Proper. Okay, that's the flats. Yeah. Yeah, that's a classic place. Although it's not the same as it used to be. Because I think they changed owners or something, but uh, this is called the Beverly Glen Deli, and uh, a lot of famous people. I've seen Sylvester Stallone up there with his agent, talking business. And you know what they actually have done for us is during the strike, if you show your SAG after card or your Writers Guild card, you get 25% off your meal. Oh, I love that. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> That's really and cool. So much schmoozing and business is done. In, uh, in that deli, <laughs> that they feel like they're they owe it to uh, those of us in the industry, you know, to give us a little to help break. out, yeah, to help in their way. Very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any um, TV shows, movies, radio shows that are coming up, or records, or anything that you well, want to let people know about? I did a, a wonderful dramatic uh, recording session. Okay, it's a thing called Hindsight, and it's it's going to be a podcast series, and it may become a television series. Uh, and we recorded it uh, on a soundstage in Burbank with boom operator micro boom operators and and, and uh, lavalier microphones and other microphones, and we could move around the studio with our scripts in our hands, so that if we were actually moving from one room to another we could do that and it created uh, oh and and it was uh, the sound design was by my partner in sexy boomers ted bonnet and he created a surround sound uh, uh series podcast you, if you listen with earphones people will be behind you right and they'll move in front of you it's absolutely astonishing and uh, that was that was the most exciting thing that i've done recently uh but i don't have i don't have any oh yes i do I have a short film called uh old new friends 
that I did with Dakin Matthews, a very famous character actor and one of the founders of the theater, the Antius Theater Company I mentioned earlier. And it's about two old guys that meet in the park and are watching their grandkids play. It's very, very funny. And then at the very end, it turns kind of sad because you realize that that I'm talking to an old, old friend of mine, and he doesn't even recognize me because he's got Alzheimer's. But it's a beautiful little short film, and I I hope it's going to get shown around in the uh, film festivals, you know. And and also, there's a documentary called A Feast for Your Ears about the KSAN radio station where David Osman and I are interviewed because we we worked on the state, we, we appeared on the station several times. And that's just about coming out now. Cool. So, plus, of course, the Greg Oppenheimer Groucho Show. That'll be ready probably. In a, it's, oh, yeah, it's going to be for us. Played on Spurback, which is the Society for the Preservation of Radio, Television, and Variety Arts. Okay. I don't know if I got it in the right order. Uh, it's going to be played on, the, on Halloween. Uh, on a special broadcast for that old-time radio uh, convention online. That's cool. That's so, cool. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm still working. I'm still doing stuff uh, and uh, and loving it because uh, I can do a lot of stuff from home, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and which is fine. Uh, and also, oh, yes, I also have long-running parts in Adventures in Odyssey. Do you know what that is? No, I've never heard of it. It's a family-oriented Christian children's program that's been on the air for, I don't know, 35 years or something like that. I play a character named Detective Polehouse, okay? And I've been nominated for several awards for the work in, for my work in that show. And if you Google, once again, go, go a-searching, for Adventures in Odyssey, the name of the town is Odyssey, and uh, look for Detective Polehouse, you'll find some very fun, exciting episodes to listen to. Cool. Um, we've come to the end. Uh, do you have, um, you gave your website, could you give it a little slower so people can look it up? Sure. It's planetproctor.com, P-R-O-C-T-O-R, and uh, I can be reached at phil Pro- phil.proctor at mac.com if you're interested in receiving Planet Proctor. I'll be sure to send you uh, the, the, the last few uh, issues, Sherry, so you can get to see my, my beautiful wife. And, uh, and, and it's also humorous. It's, it's, it's a, 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 what would you call it, a blog a beautifully artistically put together by my friend Christopher Gross, and uh, it's a site. It's a site for sore eyes, <laughs> and you can go to the site if you want and and uh, and look at it. But anyway, I love doing that, and I'm working on the next uh, uh, the next one now for November, which I'm just calling Remember, because I'm again I'm I'm remembering Melinda and honoring her Aww. and her great genius. Thank you. I would love to see that. Please send I will that send to them me. to you. Um, also, are, I know you said you were on Facebook. What are you under on Facebook so people can say Facebook hi? Facebook, that's good old Philip Proctor. Okay. Okay. You're welcome. 
welcome to come and you'll see uh, picture, many, many, many pictures of me and Melinda uh, in various parts of the world because we traveled a lot, as I said, and, uh, and also, you know, little stories and things, uh, poems sometimes, uh, you know, I, I miss her very much and post, posting pictures of her and me and all that helps me to honor her and to remember her and uh, people love it all my friends and and even acquaintances they, they love what i'm doing so i'll keep doing it oh yeah absolutely also uh do you have any other social media are you on instagram or any of the other ones or is it just facebook basically i'm just on facebook i am on instagram but you know uh i'm a busy guy <laughs> which is wonderful right right and, and so, I, my, my time on social media is somewhat limited because I have time in society that, that I'm busy. And, of course, having lost my wife recently, it was just a, like a month and a half ago, my friends have been so wonderful to me and uh, uh, helped me drive around and, uh, you know, come and have lunch with me or dinner, come and visit me at the house. And uh, it's 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 very touching, and I'm... I'm very, very moved by it, and I love them all. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Um, I want to thank you for coming on my show and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Sherry. And keep doing it. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. for your Los Angeles Chargers. Don't let family, friends, or business associates coming to town make you miss the big game. Treat them to an unforgettable Chargers game day experience at SoFi Stadium with the single game suite rental. Visit chargersuites.com to learn more about the suite experiences.